0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Testing. Testing? Testies? Testies. One, two, three? Boner. Boner. I don't know shit about them. fuck.
1: Fucker. I like, I like sucking, life, but I ain't
0: Legit.
1: Bat. Podcast. Fuck those companies.
2: Welcome podcasts. to Costco. I love you. He really knows how to suck, so suck. weird. Oh, on,
3: it.
2: Welcome back to Legit Bat Podcast. Ben's interrupting my intro. But I can cut that out No, I'm just kidding Uh, Our guest tonight is Mark Steves from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy And the uh, creator, founder, slash whatever you want to call it Of Alt Media United Of which we are a part And a bunch of other shows that you should
1: probably check out So Mark, what's up brother, how you been? Hello. Thanks for having me back. It's been uh, too long, uh, as as has been said, and yeah, we're here now. So I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to meet the new uh, member of the team, and uh, well, maybe not so new. It's just been a while that, since I've been back. But anyways, yeah, glad to be here. Uh, feels like a whole new show with uh, with our new friend here, Nae. Nice to I'll meet you. you again.
2: Oh, I did forget to, to say that I'm Joe. For new listeners, Jen. Ben and Linnea, and of course our guest Mark. So, what have you been up to over at your uh, show, dude? Since it has been so long since we've uh, done a show, I've talked to you here and there in between us. But how's your uh, your show going? And what
1: what what's the stuff you've been covering lately? Hmm. So this this is a long answer, so buckle up. <laughs> uh, I've I've been doing a lot. I've I've had. Uh, Recently, had gone from uh, two episodes a week to three episodes a week, and four if you include the other show that I started with uh a friend of mine. I think he may have been on your show before. His name's Roman. He does a podcast called Rising from the Ashes. We actually um, met him, homie Roney Fucking oh, dude. right on,
2: yeah, yeah. We hung I, out with him. Uh,
1: yeah, right on. Yeah, he's he's up there in California too, and. Uh, And yeah, so Roman, uh, my friend Chad Stempke and uh, Tara, my girlfriend and I, we do a show called Esoteric America, and that's about 20 episodes in, so I know I haven't uh, mentioned that here on the show before. So yeah, it's a fun show, we go town by town, and sort of find out the weird conspiracies, cryptids, UFOs, all the strange stuff that goes on in a particular place, and we try to focus... Uh, on any place really i mean we've done small towns big cities uh, any any place in america we'll we'll do an episode about so that's a that's been a fun exploration and it's led me to also look into my own state and where i'm from and the weird history going on here and it's not new for me to do that it's been kind of a a 10-year pursuit of trying to understand what's going on over at yale with skull and bones so I've done a mm. whole amount um, of research over the past few months into that whole subject, and uh, I've done several interviews on shows about that. Um, and then, I guess, also, you know, you can kind of include my interest in the Native American spiritual landscape, is sort of wraps into all three of those, or well, into the first two, because. Originally, what really struck me about Skull and Bones was my encounter with uh, a now friend, somewhat of a mentor at the time, uh, a gentleman who grew up in Arizona uh, amongst the Navajo. He's a Native American and uh, came all the way out here to New Haven and told me about this uh, Geronimo's skull, which resides in the tomb at New Haven. So that kind of disturbed me as a young man 10 years ago, learning about that. And I've really scratched my head trying to figure it out ever since. And funny enough, the Native American story is somewhat connected to the Skull and Bones saga. I don't know if Skull and Bones yields the same power today that it once did, but it's certainly fascinating to look at Yale and see how they've really made a huge impact on our american life so yeah there's so many routes we can go down from from there it's really up to to you for whatever you're most interested in but yeah i've been doing uh, a couple new things and of course my family thinks i'm crazy we've been pumping out guest interviews and i've talked to a lot of really fascinating people lately that have helped contribute to the research i'm doing so
2: dude that's Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Let's start there, though, with what you found out about skull and bones, especially in relation to the Indian stuff, because that's, I'm not familiar with that at all. Would you? Yeah, that's your favorite part. I want to jump right into that. Hell yeah.
1: I could even pull up some slides here and show you guys a few photos if you don't mind. Yes. Do it. Right. So, yeah, the, the story starts with my friend Amos and. Before I met Amos, I had an interest in Native American culture. Um, my father had a best friend growing up who was a Native American, and he was sort of like a family friend while I was growing up. So it was always a sort of sl- like on the precipice for me in my life. And uh, there's a certain wisdom to the native consciousness that I think has um, for the most part, been ignored as the Industrial Revolution has really, you know, kicked off. and Subsequently, in our lifetimes, this digital revolution, right? So I think all of that can be healed in a way uh, if we reconcile and recognize the aspects of the native consciousness of this continent that were sort of stolen away. And it's funny because a lot of the people at Yale were in some way a part of this uh you know what a lot of people talk about as like the world's Fair erasing history and whatnot I mean one of the the, the darker things about the World's Fair was how they depicted um, people who were not white right as these sort of savages and barbarians and you know that's that's definitely a sort of more of a, a racial conversation that we don't need to get into here but uh but there's Good definitely though. a erasing exactly. of history. Well, we could, but I'm that's definitely not my expertise um but there's there's certainly a uh an erasure of history and it has a racial prejudice attached to it you know there, there's a lot and uh nowadays you know people are very sensitive to racial uh prejudices and, and are I, really uh, are they <laughs> i'm glad in some ways i think it's being taken overboard in other ways but uh in the in the sense that the native americans history uh being told uh, i think it's important to recognize the uh the actual truth of of their complex uh culture and how these so-called anthropologists and academics kind of uh biased the reports of native american culture in a way that left uh Left them, I don't know, in a bad political standing, so to speak. And we see the effects of that today with, you Mm -hmm. know, Native Americans for the most part living on a reservations that are controlled by the military, at least in the United States. So Yeah, it's a long history, and the first Indian wars took place in New Haven, where I'm from. I mean, they got kicked off in not just New Haven, but New England at large. The colonies, the New Haven colony, Connecticut colony, Plymouth colony, the Massachusetts Bay colony went to war against the Native Americans. Because at that point in 1676, the Native Americans were like, you know what, we're Tired of it. Let's get together. Let's get these Europeans out of here once and for all. Funny enough, a hundred years later, the colonists did the same thing to the British, but that's a different story. Um when it comes to the Native Americans, they certainly had a strong grasp on agriculture, they had a strong grasp on astronomy, even oceanic travel. I mean, there were many native tribes, at least here in New England, that were whaling you know, and they taught the European colonists how to whale. So the whole whaling industry that kind of gave birth to, you know, some of the aspects of the Industrial Revolution were thanks in part to Native American uh, traders and sailors who were, you know, able to help guide certain groups to be more profitable. Like Nantucket and Massachusetts Bay, they made tons of money whaling, almost to the point where the whales went extinct and they had to protect the whales. So uh, that's just one aspect. But when it comes to the native Americans, they also had a complex spiritual culture. And One of the things that they talked about were uh, a time long ago when giants and thunderbirds roamed and even Sasquatch and some of the things that are a little more recently tangible. I mean, These were all a part of their worldview, these mythic creatures, you know? And one of the things that really struck me as as coincidental and fascinating is a story about Mithras, right? Because Mithras is said to have been born from a stone, a stone giant, okay? And at Yale University, they have a shrine to Mithras, Well, that's all well and good. You know, we're talking about uh, historical artifacts here in this art gallery. Of course, they have a Mithra Shrine. Well, what do you think about the coincidence that not only did they have a Mithra Shrine, but they have a stone giant here in New England, only one town away from New Haven. The Native Americans believe that this mountain called Sleeping Giant was an actual giant that once lived and roamed and did things uh, around you know this area like rerouting the course of the connecticut river and fighting a thunderbird to his death and uh this stone giant is pretty prominent it's noticeable when you're driving on the highway you can see the mountain is the shape of a man lying on his back so you know without the the native myth attached to it it's still you know a human looking mountain and here at yale university as you can see on the slide we have a shrine to mithras and like i said mithra is said to have been born from a stone giant so you know this is just one example of cult strange activity going on at yale university and it goes back you know very very far it goes back to the founding actually of yale university so uh, with that being said, I kind of just said a lot there. You guys have any questions? Ben, you got anything? You look like your
2: wheel, wheels were turning a little bit. When you first said wailing, I thought you meant like how to <laughs> how to cry or scream. And then you said, oh, the whales almost went extre- extinct. I'm like, why would they teach them how to wail? I didn't even know that that was something they- <laughs> Talk
0: about know. wailing.
2: Yeah, wailing. Yeah, yes, d- 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 W-H-A-L. And Whale. So the, the question that I had- that popped into my head was there several documentaries and podcasts that I had heard talking about uh, the Native American mounds that are all over the place and specifically talking about the giants Uh, in multiple different tribes you typically have the more mounds that are present you have more giant lore typically that comes out of those native tribes and for a very long time kind of like the joke about columbus showing up and saying oh i found them there uh, we found the indians uh nope we're uh we're native americans uh are you sure you're not indians yeah we're native americans that's a big we're deal all all you indians yeah um is the idea that there has been from us the purported they built the mounds and from people that have gone and spoken to different chiefs of tribes they still retain that no our people did not make these mounds these mounds were made by the giants that used to be present Mm -hmm. and they have so many very specific verbal stories or oral uh history that talk about when they fought the giants and that these mounds were not made by them. They were made by the giants. So with where you're going with the skull and bones, which I noticed that it said restricted to men. And obviously that's a a thing that they still carry on. Did you end up uncovering anything that had to do with the burial mounds or burial or otherwise native American mounds that had to tie in with
1: your research into the skull and bones? Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up, Ben. Um, so Just to be clear, the giant I spoke of is considered more of a mythical giant, more of a Manitou, a spirit, right? Now, the giants you're talking about, uh, those would be more of a giant humanoid or seven to eight foot tall people, sometimes nine to ten foot tall humanoids, right? Right. We're Neanderthal, maybe they're Sasquatch, maybe they're humans. We don't know, but we found their skeletons in the mounds. Right. And one of the things that really struck me when I got into the skull and bones research was this uh, illustration that you could actually find when you type in <laughs> secret societies on Google and it, you go to the Wikipedia page. It's the, the picture they use as the main picture for the Wikipedia page. and. It's a, it's a drawing of each of the Yale Secret Society buildings. And in each corner next to the illustrations of the buildings, there are symbols. There's a symbol of a man wearing a mask over his eyes. There's a symbol of a bat. There's a symbol of maybe handshaking. And then there's a symbol of what looks like a stone beehive. And initially I thought, okay, that's the Masonic beehive. But then as I started looking deeper I started to see that illustration being drawn in uh, books about Native Americans here in New England where they had these stone chambers and I started thinking about these stone chambers and it turns out in this part of the Americas there's just not the same you know earth that they have maybe out in the Midwest so it's a little harder to build mounds here especially with the cold winters. So they would uh, build them out of stone instead, make these massive stone piles. You can still find many of them in the woods, and there's even some that have been ransacked or, or dug up, and they've found everything from giant skeletons to... Uh, men wearing suits of armor as if people from Europe had come over to wow. the world prior to Columbus, right? And there's the whole saga of the Knights Templar, Scott Walters, right. that, to that at length if people are interested in going down that rabbit hole. But again, these early Ivy League institutions, Harvard, Yale, you know, they created uh, the rest of the the university network for the most part. People who graduated from Yale, Harvard, Princeton, College of William and Mary, University of Pennsylvania, they went on to to create sort of the status quo of what's historical and what's not. And you see with a lot of these guys who were part of secret societies, they're also, you know, anthropologists or people who went on to, you know, do surveys of land and dig up these mounds or or be a part of the Smithsonian Society or the Philosophical Society and these other groups that dealt in this kind of thing of what's real history and what's not. So it seems like a cover-up's going on. Why would they want to cover up, sure. you know, what the, the giants were or or what the Native Americans were up to? Well, it gets very complicated. I was just speaking with a Native American elder who That podcast will be out. There's several podcasts I've recorded with him. Uh, It'll be out soon. One of the things that he's an expert in is the mound builders. And what he told me that sometime around 400 BC, the Chinese sailed up the Mississippi River and they brought smallpox with them. And this is why the mounds were all vacant when the French came and settled Oh wow, that is so weird. I just mentioned Lauren and he just called me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not to interrupt you dude, but real quick, the Chinese up the Mississippi, so yeah.
1: that kind of throws some shit off just by itself, right? Well, it's definitely uh anachronistic to what we're told. Uh, you know, we're told that the Chinese maybe went down to like Peru, but you know, mm-hmm. so, like the Mississippi, they they definitely don't acknowledge that but there's evidence and and the native americans certainly remember they have stories of it and uh one of the weird things that you learn about when you look into this is around that same time that the chinese uh allegedly sailed to the new world they're also figuring out how to uh heal people from smallpox so Mm. they they invented the first v word right and uh Mm. This is going on YouTube or not, but we'll just say say V word.
2: Yeah, sharp thing, V word, whatever you want to call it.
1: No, that works. We were talking about
2: vaginas earlier. It's fine.
1: Yeah. So they, they meant this thing to essentially take a smallpox scab, grind it up into powder and like shoot it down the back of someone's throat, which is disgusting. But apparently that he, that made you, you know, um, not immunocompromised to smallpox, right? Your immune system was able to take it in digest it figure it out and now you are safe so in theory that he yeah that may be the result of um, a number of things but uh the fact is is there was smallpox among the chinese and and the mound builder- builders did mysteriously disappear suddenly right there's archaeological evidence to suggest that all of a sudden they were they were just not there so that could be the the uh you know a result of some sort of Uh, plague smallpox type of you know illness that spread across the mound building culture there could be other reasons i mean if the chinese found these giants maybe they would have you know done that purposely there's there's stories of the spanish using pigs for that purpose they would take Mm -hmm. pigs and send them to tribes where maybe the tribes were particularly tough and not only would the pigs wreak havoc on you know the farmland and whatnot but they brought a lot of illness with them so you know pigs were kind of used as biological warfare by the spanish so it's not far-fetched i mean genghis khan used to sho- like shove a bunch of smallpox bodies into a uh, what do they call those things the trebuchets those mm-hmm. the catapult yeah, they- Catapult—that's the real word for it. It's just <laughs> motherfuckers over with diseases. Would catapult sick people into their enemies' forts. So biological warfare is not new. It's very—it's resourceful. That's darkly hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: yeah, when you think about it, it definitely you know goes to show how intelligent uh, people have been throughout the ages, and at what lengths people will go to you know gain power. But uh, dice spitefully use if that. Yeah, I mean, if that kind of thing was going on amongst the Mongols, I mean, it's it's not theoretically impossible for the Chinese to have done something here in the New World like that, especially when you look at all the other evidence. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stories about alleged pre-Columbian expeditions to the New World prior to Columbus, right. And some of them are accepted by the mainstream, but for the most part, columbus gets all the credit right and that was due partly to these secret societies trying to control the political narrative uh and maybe take some power away from the the native americans and uh you know that's that's well, definitely the more political angle but i think there's a spiritual angle too go ahead ben
2: i was gonna say that yeah the only the only other two that i ever heard about growing up was Leif Erickson prior to Columbus, and Cortez. Um, Those were the only two that I ever remember hearing about, and it wasn't until, you know, in the last, I would say, decade of our age of information, actually finding out a lot more. And when you have all those little tiny dots that connect the details to the bigger dots that people always would say are conspiracy or it isn't, quote-unquote, authenticated history... And then you end up finding out that, I'm sorry, there's too many little dots to support this, to say that there isn't at least something to this, not to mention that the Native Americans still, like many other cultures, they primarily deal with oral history. And it is very important to get those facts correct. And when you start to hear these different stories, you can only have so many stories line up so perfectly to where you just you cannot dismiss it in the very least much less take it seriously and start investigating it to be true
1: Mm -hmm. excuse me yeah yeah well said i think that you know if people realized how many uh cultures visited this continent before columbus they would really uh scratch their head and think twice about what the spanish and the british and the french and the dutch all did but uh you know that's a different kind of story but yeah i actually i have some another slide that shows not just Leif erickson but like 10 or 12 other people who made it to the new world before columbus so yeah it's it's very fascinating and when you start looking at some of the megalithic structures around the world uh specifically the ones in north america it makes you wonder you know who built them and uh, you know people hear that and they think of the mounds but there's so many more megalithic structures than just the mounts there's all these great stone structures across uh new england so here's here's lee ferricks and sort of looking kind of crazy but if you look down here at the bottom uh Bjarni Herjolfsson he actually made it to the new world before Leo Erikson and they were both from the same country uh St Brendan also uh, of Ireland allegedly made it to the new world in 550 uh there's also this african king from mali who sailed to the new world with over 4000 ships uh and it, you know, it's like, you send 4,000 ships over to the new world, I think some of them are going to make it. Those are pretty good odds. Um, can you yeah. can you scroll? I I can't see all of the dates on that bottom. Yeah, the the um, little bar here is kind oh, of... Oh, there we go. Nicole, Maybe if I zoom in, you can see it. But, uh, yeah, the dates, 986 is when Bjarni made it. Prince Madoc is probably the most interesting of all of these folks because... Um, he has a whole story of kind of interacting with the Native Americans and some say even were was killed in a battle against some Native American tribes all the way in Mobile, Alabama, uh in like, you know, the 11, 1100s, right? So and this was hmm. a Welsh this was a Welsh royal who was related to uh King Arthur, right? Not not the mythical King Arthur, but the King Arthur. Right existed and maybe was mythical i mean some people say that they just base the stories off of him uh, other people argue that no king arthur was a real figure like the the stories depict just sort of exaggerate
2: there there has been a lot from the arthurian legends and romance stories because that's always been something that i was very fascinated with uh, that yeah the stories are obviously uh conflated um legends but are based <laughs> off of like for instance the arthurian legend that is magical where you have merlin and uh a lot of that and then you have the romance side of it which is where you get a lot more into the um who fucked who um with uh guinevere and all of that stuff it ends up being that they think that the Ar- the uh, arthurian legend that has to do mostly with the romance saga is much more factual um, and they do think that based on who lived when and this, that, and the other, the bastard sons of Arthur, um, as well as his dad, um, Uther, that there were a lot of truth to some of these legends, but obviously, um, you know, completely blown out of the water and exaggerated. They, they don't know if Merlin by that name was a, uh, council of people, um, that was kind of, well, yeah, that's the thing, is that it was all, you know, potions and uh, common uh, herbal potions and stuff that, that they knew, which they also say very well could have come from the Chinese. Um, and because he was literate and a lot of the people back then were not, his books and tomes basically were uh, trans- or, uh, translated stuff from China, and that was you know, all of his herbs and things like that that he would do to heal people gave him this magical kind of status. Uh, but I did notice on that list, as far as the dates go, the whole thing of, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Of all those dates, the only one that was after that was Sir Francis Drake. That right. All the rest of them, yeah, were all before him.
1: Well, and I include him because uh, part of that presentation I, I share and we can get into this information since we're sort of already uh dancing around it is after i was looking into all these you know alleged uh, prior visitations to the new world you know before columbus i started to piece together the fact that it seems like the dragon story comes from america now this sounds strange at first but remember the date i said about china 400 bc that's around the same time that the dragon becomes a part of chinese mythology and it was a, a, at first something only the emperor could depict or talk about and the only person who knew about these you know expeditions was the emperor right he was the only one who sent these he knew that the ships were going to the their new world but they didn't tell everybody about that that was a big secret so a dragon the dragon was always associated with the kings of uh, china right initially and it's around this same time period that the chinese went to america which the word america comes from the incas the incas had a being like quetzalcoatl called Amaruku, and that's the word that became america they could have named it turtle island but turtles aren't fearsome enough you know that that's what the the natives called north america is turtle island i don't know what the they called south america but north america was called turtle island and somebody came up with america i haven't figured out who but some people think it, it connects to that dragon and sir francis drake drake dragon draco right i mean there's a big connection there he was the first uh british person to make it to the west coast and what's interesting about baja california and i think san francisco is if you look at them close enough on a map from above kind of look like a serpent like moving along the coast of california and and san francisco bay even kind of looks like the mouth of a snake from a certain angle so it's kind of interesting like when you see these dragons on the landscape there's other examples of this louisiana and the appalachian mountains make a sort of dragon shape as well but uh, all that aside the dragon didn't come into western mythology until after prince madoc's expedition and he was a welsh person who who has the dragon on their flag the welsh do everyone else for the most part has a lion or the roman eagle or the right? phoenix or whatever yeah yeah but the dragon is kind of new to european the european world in the same period that prince madoc allegedly sailed to the new world so it's like huh, maybe the Native Americans, they saw these dragons. They called them Thunderbirds. They called them Quetzalcoatl. In South America, they called them Amaraku, you know, and and maybe that's the, the myth that kind of was most popular for visitors here, and that's why they went back home and spread this dragon idea. Maybe the dragon is from America. That's kind of what I'm starting to hypothesize. I don't have much more to substantiate that other than what i kind of just said but even africa there's there's evidence that people from africa traveled across the atlantic and settled in the new world and there are stories of dragons in african culture as well so uh, and you don't see dragons in other cultures you see them you know in cultures that have been in contact with the chinese or the european or the african cultures but you, you see for the most part like giant snakes or serpents instead of this more uh dragon like dinosaur kind of looking thing right with legs and wings where as the serpent is usually just what we think of as a snake maybe just bigger like the nagas of india you know
3: what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to 11 grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
1: Oftentimes people will compare the Nagas of India to the dragon, but they're kind of different in the sense that, you know, dragons typically have a different anatomy. Uh, Although these are mythical beings, to a certain ex- interpretation. As far as we know, yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> let's look at it this way Yale University, these people that I mentioned earlier who are, you know, finding themselves in these positions to sort of wrap up history neatly with a bow and give people the right angle that they want them to see. Well, they were the people who invented, for the most part, paleontology. There was uh, a part of yale university uh that kind of developed paleontology out of the science of mineralogy and these two paleontologists one of them who happened to be connected to skull and bones they had this fight called the bone wars where the two of them competed to to name the most dinosaurs and during this process they they basically just dug up bones and said oh this is a new species oh this is a new species and it really was more about their competition between Mm -hmm. them than it was actually naming dinosaurs so what if just like we have these giant skeletons that have been hidden away what if there are dragon skeletons that they're just telling us are dinosaurs instead they're giving us this different scientific version of of dragons this sort of, you know, walking dragon as a way of, of kind of demystifying the history of this place and giving people a more, I don't know, scientific dead materialist version of the world.
2: Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes perfect sense because it lines up with their the whole uh, evolution, big bang thing. It can be like, Oh, the dinosaurs were here so long ago and they just got taken out by an asteroid or whatever it was before we get too far off of what, where you're going, I wanted to ask real quick, what's the answer for uh, the Native Americans being here before all of these other so-called first-time explorers or first-time, you know, finders of the new world? Because the way we grew up, um, there shouldn't have yeah. been anybody here. And as far as we knew back when we were going, we were taking school, whatever, it uh, Columbus was the first school? one yeah, we didn't go to school. We took school.. I get it. so uh, when when Columbus came here, he was the first one to ex- like find this world. and there was already people here doing their thing. That doesn't work from a, a Christian chronological point of view at all. theres I've never heard a Christian that That's
0: explains 100% that. 100% why. Because they were so mystical and spiritual and they were like, we need to wipe this shit out. I don't want anybody to find out about this.
2: Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense that so many people were supposedly finding this new world. But way before that, there was the Native American tribes that were apparently here for a long fucking time because they have their own mythologies and ideas on things. Does that work from any other viewpoint? Like the out of Africa idea that everybody was out of Africa or the Pangea when everything was kind of one landmass and then it split apart or. uh,
1: Keep in mind, they didn't didn't have any of that uh, in the 1500s, right? When the Spanish came, you know, there was no Pangea theory yet, right? So I I understand what you're saying, but back then it was about, uh, you know, the Bible. That's how people got educated. Maybe the classics, right? The classic Roman and Greek literature, and then literature of the day, and that was what education was based around. So then, the colonists. What we are told they they said, you know, for that explanation to your your question, which is a good question, uh, they tended to think that the natives were survivors of the flood, sons of Joseph and Babylonians. So they considered themselves possibly either a lost tribe of Israel or some sort of survivors of the flood that maybe God just ignored, right? And that was sort of talked about in uh, books at the time. And there were people like Roger Williams who actually founded the state of Rhode Island. It was then called Providence. He was sort of uh, a heretic so the people in boston the people in boston at the time were super uh religious in a certain one-way persuasion very protestant very against the the church of england but they kind of created their own quasi church of england here in boston right they they became the enemy they hated and people like roger williams who sympathized with the native americans were not considered, you know, like sane to, to these Bostonians who for the most part were slave traders and and treated the Native Americans like they were um, unworthy of the land unless they converted to Christianity. So you see the first missionary schools in New England, uh, you know, converting certain Native Americans and then sending those Native Americans out to be missionaries. And what's really sad is these Christian Indians, who, who did convert for various reasons, they were for the most part ignored and disregarded during the uh, Indian Wars that took place. It, officially known as King Philip's War. King Philip wasn't a European. He was a, a Native American that the colonists would call King Philip because his real name was too hard to remember. Uh, his name was Metacomet, and uh, he was sort of like the leader of the natives who said, all right, we're sick of this. Let's get these English out of here. And it was a complicated story. You know, there were tribes like the Mohegans who sided with the British. There were other tribes like the ones who, who converted to Christianity who who sided with the British. But it got to a point where all of the natives were considered the enemy. Even if they were loyal, they couldn't be trusted because they could, you know, turn on us. So a lot of these Christianized Indians got put on Deer Island in Massachusetts uh, off the coast of Boston and uh none of them made it through the winter very few did at least and uh yeah it's you know it's a tragedy what happened in in the east coast of America during the colonial phase but thanks to Roger Williams you know the Narragansetts for the most part were spared they didn't have to fight in the Indian War they they survived and there are other tribes like the wepawag who still have a a nation the mohegans who still have a strong nation and even the mohawk who were kind of the feared enemies of the the natives day you know they, they still have survived so a lot of these tribes are still in existence but as ben said their cultures their stories were all passed down orally so a lot of this stuff uh you know has been unfortunately uh, hidden from the most of us and you know I feel privileged to learn a lot of this stuff but I'm only sharing what's available in books you know there are certain things I've learned from uh, my friends that are natives that they tell me you know this isn't something that we like to share with anyone so I'm going to share it with you but you can't share it with anyone else and there's a part of me that disagrees with that because we're truther podcasters we love the truth we want everybody to know the truth and we all want to escalate and elevate each other uh but there also is some respect that needs to be given to uh a people and a culture that for the most part have been genocided you know and that's a really harsh word but it's it's the reality that they faced so you know the new england history is is very interesting there's so many characters but when it comes to your question about you know what the colonists thought is kind of a mixed bag, but for the most part, they regarded the natives as unworthy of, of owning the land because they they weren't, you know, God's people. And for the most part, I mean, the Native American spiritual worldview was more complex than a lot of the Christians who were coming here, just because, you know, the Christians, for the most part, uh, they had a very simple dogma. And also a very complicated and hard life in Europe, you know, and I'm not in any way, uh, biased against either party. I think both parties, you know, are human beings and we need to just separate, you know, our morals of today, uh, when we look at history, but still it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, a touchy subject when you, when you look at it, cause you could just chalk it all up to racism, but really it was more of a religious idea this man it kind of evolved into manifest destiny right that america was destined to be here and this new world was being preserved by god from the evils of the the catholic church and the evils of rome and all the bad things from the old world god had preserved this new world for the americas to be born right and that's kind of the the myth of manifest destiny that a lot of the colonists were really inspired by and you know if if that didn't happen well maybe we wouldn't have the constitution which i know we all are grateful for and 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 the native american consciousness contributed to that document so uh, i guess that's kind of where i jump in and say like yeah maybe we just need to recognize and give respect to our brothers who were here before us who who uh, you know made the earth ready for america cuz you know there is a way that we can all live here uh, in harmony and And we can free them from the reservation and uh, all be equals, you know. I think that's definitely uh, on the horizon. It it should happen. So if this kind of research leads to that, great. But, you know, if we want to maybe sidetrack a bit back to our original topic of skull and bones, because they are a part of that. But, you know, I mostly looked into it from that perspective of well why do they have geronimo's skeleton so maybe we can is that that confirmed
2: because i have heard that that's that's a fucking weird thing for a yale like fraternity to have as somebody's real
1: skeleton especially geronimo well it's it's not the whole skeleton allegedly it's just the femur bones and the skull but they don't just have geronimo they have a lot of people they have um Apparently they have Martin Van Buren, who's the only president who isn't related to all the other presidents, right? You guys have seen that meme of all the, yeah, related to each other. And, you know, that, that's kind of odd. They also have, uh, Churchill, the guy who, not Churchill, sorry. Um, it's the guy who, who changed England, Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell. They have his skull. Old Ironsides, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's Churchill, I think. But, uh, but no, I don't think they have Churchill. Um, they have, uh, Cromwell, but anyways, yeah. And then they have like Pancho Villa, they have some random Russian lady and probably on and on and on. They probably have tons of, of skeletons down there for what purpose. I think it's a spiritual one, you know, like they, they have some sort of, um, ritual attached to these body parts that comes from maybe Mithraism, the Mithraic cult. Uh, maybe it comes from templarism and the templars i'm not quite sure where that uh, practice originates but clearly it's something that they were doing um there are stories of yalemen being you know caught red-handed with this kind of stuff and people have uh broken into the tomb and recorded what's in there so um well, i got a question for you on that and i was super glad that it happened to be
2: your segue right there of going back to skull and bones, bringing up the president's um, owning and uh, doing, you know, uh, what's it called? Different ceremonies and stuff like that was, is skull and bones directly, obviously with the participants. Yes. But are they, what, what is their connection with the massive bohemian grove um, ties Uh, Because I I just looked it up about, you know, they get together all the time mid-July in, uh, what is it, in California. And it was the elite across the world, men's only club, just like all the other secret societies. Um, I know John Kerry and George Bush, the most recent uh, both runners and also president, that admitted to being in Yale's Skull and Bones, even though they were going against each other in the presidential race. Uh um, have did you unearth anything about skull and bones and you know the 1878 onward of these prominent figures getting to all together um at bohemian grove and what other secret societies might be included in that
1: yeah yeah well luckily with skull and bones a lot of the research has been done before me by a very uh excellent scholar named anthony sutton who wrote a book about uh skull and bones called america's secret establishment it's right here uh and there's another really excellent book put together by a guy i've interviewed named chris milligan uh called fleshing out skull and bones so in this book he shows a diagram uh that basically puts the skull and bones order at the center of this matrix of groups it's not just bohemian grove it's the council of foreign relations to bilderberg's Skull and Bones is one of these groups that seems to have infiltrated all of those. And with Bohemian Grove, in specifically, I found out from a a listener of the show that reached out to me with this information uh, that allegedly Bohemian Grove started in Huntington, Long Island. And that's an interesting place because Huntington was one of the prominent families in the New Haven area and many of the Huntington. Mm have been part of Skull and Bones, including the founder, who was William Huntington Russell. So uh, he had a brother, Samuel Russell, who was an opium smuggler. They started the Russell Trust Association to incorporate Skull and Bones. And then Skull and Bones became a sort of uh, parasite that took over Yale University itself. And now Yale University is the second wealthiest private university in the country at 42 billion dollars uh of an endowment which is larger than a lot of countries uh and half of what the wealthiest uh monarch in the world has the the king of thailand is the wealthiest monarch and i think he has like 70 billion dollars or something like that uh so yale is right there at half of of that uh a little bit of money magic going on for sure but uh yeah, Skull and Bones, Bohemian Grove, they're certainly connected, maybe even sort of founded by, because the University of California, which Stanford is a part of, which Stanford is a huge school, especially connected to the MKUltra topic, the topic of you know the music industry being affected, I mean, the whole Laurel Canyon scene. Uh, so the University of California was Berkeley was started by members of Skull and Bones. And uh yeah, they're very much connected to this whole thing, even going to the Manhattan Project and the creation of the nuclear bomb. And uh yeah, I mean, on and on and on. They financed the Nazis in World War ii and World War One, Skull and Bones did. Um, so you know, there's plenty of of things that they've gotten themselves in and i don't know quite where they stand now like i said you know obviously george bush was skull and bones we've heard the rumors that obama is potentially related to the bush family so you can imagine that if biden is just obama's little puppet then (laughs) you know we're we're seeing bush 3.0 right now right maybe we haven't with trump but i think that's essentially the same Uh, dynasty but it seems like there's there's a new um left-leaning orientation to these sort of political deep state actors right you know it's shifted whereas during the bush era it was more of the neocon now the neocons are perfectly uh comfortable taking on the role of you know ultra left right and i think that's the that's the the problem with these organizations is they just use, you know, names, identities, political ideologies as cover for their agenda. They don't care, you know, if it's red or blue or dem or republican, whatever it is, as long as it pushes their agenda forward, and they do that by educating uh the wealthiest of the wealthy at these insulated schools and plucking the right candidates from those already insulated populations you know only 15 people uh uh, a semester a senior you know when you become a senior you join these secret societies you don't it's not like a regular fraternity where you join as a freshman and you fuck around for four years these guys are only there as a senior and after they get initiated into skull and bones they're done with school so there's no like you know, flirting around with their, their classmates, telling them about the, the boogie rituals they did last year, cause they're gone, you know, and they're the only friends that they are expected to keep are those men that they were initiated with or women now too, uh, who are welcome to join these secret societies. So, you know, it, it's gone past that sort of trope of a bunch of scary old white men in a, you know, <laughs> boardroom plotting the end of humanity you know, now there's chicks with blue hair and, you know, huh. trans dudes and who else, who knows what else going into the secret societies. And I, you know, I'm not against anybody uh, expressing themselves, but that's just the, the, the times that we're in, right? So they're not going to conform to anything but the, the trends. And maybe they're even kind of, um, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh,
0: like forcing the trend? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, encouraging and, and de- encouraging depravity really is what it is. It feels like we're kind of heading into a more and more depraved culture. If you look at like what's acceptable in children's media, what's acceptable in yeah. adult media, you know, it's really uh, taken a large leap off of a cliff in the past 60 years. So, uh, I you know, I think these organizations, we can't count them out when we look at, how these whole movements got influenced because they're in control of the education system the upper echelon of the education system and even you know regular state university schools were founded by members of skull and bones uh you know so it's 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 a a deep entangled web that spans the entire history of the country because yale university is older than the united states itself so is harvard so and they both are connected to Oxford and Cambridge, which are, you know, almost a thousand years old at this point. So uh, <laughs> we're dealing with this sort of vestige of the old control system that transmuted itself during the Renaissance from royalty to secret society. And now we're seeing those transform into technocratic corporatists, right? These, like, yacht sailing... You know, yeah, education. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so what? You know, what do you think that
2: like when it comes down? You said so insulated of a school because you have to be uh, have a certain amount of money to go there in the first place. But even if you're just some random ass dude who just happened to have so much money to go to Yale or Harvard or any of these Ivy League schools, when it comes down to how. Select few get into skull and bones, and then, or you know, any of those, and then the select few from there that we actually hear about, like Bush or Obama, you know, the top players. Is there something else going on behind who they pick besides how well they do at fucking a human skull or whatever they do in there? Is it does it come down to their bloodline specifically? Because you talked about them being all kind of related. So, it, like, if I would yeah. just if I had a billion dollars right now and just went to Yale, somehow got into skull and bones. I don't think that I would necessarily be picked because they look at my bloodline and be like, I, no, that's
1: not what we're looking for. Do you think it's something like that? Well, it, most definitely. I think it, it could be, you know, the rare case where somebody gets involved because their father's industry, maybe, or something like that. But for the most part, I think it's familial, it's bloodlines. And, you know, that's evidence when you look at George Bush, because, you know, I live not too far from new haven i worked in new haven for many years and went to bars in new haven and one of the bars that i went to uh, had a lot of rumors about george bush while he was uh, a student at yale you know he was doing coke in the bathroom he was having (laughs) secret service come and pick him up because he couldn't drive you know three blocks you know home or whatever responsible hey (laughs) it drove yeah, there's a whole bunch of weird stories. I don't know how true they all are, but there's a lot of stories that George W. Bush was a party boy. H.W. Bush, right? The younger Bush. Yeah. He he was a party boy, and his, his family was kind of like New Haven, born and bred. His his father went to Yale. His grandfather went to Yale, and they both were in Skull and Bones. So when you have a situation like that, yeah, the the great-grandson is going to be uh skull and bones as well so who knows who who's in skull and bones now bush four uh but i don't again i don't know how much sway they have anymore um but yeah well definitely familial i think it could it could be different nowadays because they are accepting a lot of international students so one of the thoughts i've had is like well maybe there are prominent families in china now that send their students who, you know, their father's a part of the freaking, what do they call it, the triads? And they send their son to go become part of Skull and Bones. Like that, that definitely could be going on where like secret societies from other nations are kind of getting involved in, in Skull and Bones as a sort of power grab on Skull and Bones' part.
2: Well, yeah, that's what I was going to kind of allude to was when Joe was talking about, you know, he wouldn't be picked. It's like, no, you wouldn't for being that puppet that they want and need but it's the idea that you would still play a role as a foot soldier and support of that information and there's that kind of faux um, and fake like bequeathing of giving you information that you need to support for the person that will be picked Um, and when you just now mentioned the idea of other people getting in or other secret societies getting um, brought into Skull and Bones it's almost one of those I think that that is more realistic where the society itself has definitely outlasted the puppets they're the ones that are putting these royalty families and keeping those in check and whoever it is the committee or what have you that control Skull and Bones, they're the ones that you'll never hear any of the names of. You know, we talk about the elites, the elites, the deep state, um, the puppet masters. I would say that, much like the masons, it's the society itself and their secrets, that is what is way older than any of these monarchs or the bloodlines themselves. It's the idea that they're the ones who choose what bloodlines go into all of these countries and maybe even a front of some of these secret societies are just to throw people off the trail where it's like no we own this society as a matter of fact we started it we started whatever it is that they purport and we're going to say that this guy who's going to be prominent in this nation or in this state or whatever we're going to say that he's a part of this secret society and kind of take him out quote-unquote in the public eye of being in skull and bones but in reality It's just another hand to the head and the idea that 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 other society that they're a part of, oh, see, look, we have a president or, you know, whatever. That's not a part of Skull and Bones. He's a part of this fraternity. And it's like, right. But Skull and Bones started that fraternity and are labeling him as such so that it throws everybody off the trail as to what is all connected to it. I would say that that's a bigger force than the
1: actual, you know, puppet heads they put in. Hmm yeah i think so i think there's something going on like that it definitely happened with the masons prior to skull and bones it's one of the reasons that the skull and bones possibly even got into america because apparently they were german the first chapter of skull and bones was in a german university and Mm -hmm. right around the time that skull and bones was founded in 1832 uh in 1831 there was or 30 There was something called the william morgan affair where a man named william morgan became a freemason and published some of the rituals and some of the secrets in a book put that book out there and said hey the masons are evil everybody needs to watch out for them and a month later he was missing and they found his body washed up on the shore uh south of the niagara falls so the whole country got worried and said oh gosh these masons you know they're ruthless they're they're conspirators they're corrupt they're killing people to keep these secrets and there was a whole political party called the anti-masonic party that formed to get the masons out of political power and you know it didn't really work for the most part. I mean, you see the Masons kind of just going undercover and maybe even becoming like charitable organizations, kind of how they present themselves today as Shriners and whatnot. You right. know, or Bill
2: Gates school. and him being a big philanthropist. <laughs> they always hide behind these do-gooder type. Right. Shit. Uh, right. We, we got to wrap up here soon, dude. But I wanted, as a closer, to what's the the mainstream like rebuttal to this so-called conspiracy theory that all these people in power are part of these, uh, organizations like skull and bones. What, what, what do you even know what they say
1: to somebody who would talk like you? Like what's well, the mainstream I'll, response? I think, I think they would just chalk it up to like, uh, you know, Oh, that's just college hijinks. That's just what goes on in college. You and then I become president. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's not- I, I was a part of a, a fraternity at college, but it didn't like that did anything for my life. Like I'm not like, you know, I got one job at a bakery because of a friend I made in the fraternity, but that's like, yeah. the only edge. It's like being
0: I got. a second degree Mason, who
1: cares? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's bragging rights. That's kind of the deal with a lot of masons. I used to buy weed from a Freemason, and he was a cool guy. Like I never asked him about. <laughs> being a freemason that much after he told me i was just like oh cool you know and i just would buy weed from him still and have like you know a five minute conversation with Dude, him and when i and with my when i was involved
2: in the freemasons i sold weed so i was probably that guy i don't even know oh, shoot. have
0: i met you before <laughs> most people not <laughs> what do you- used to not care about stuff now we're like what's your vaccination status like oh, we're goodness. all about what we're all doing but back in the day we didn't care we were like that's cool for you, because it's okay if you do things that I don't like. Yeah, you wait, I mean, You
1: have... We, it was we a,
0: can get a, yeah. a tiny bubble of time where we could do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, not everybody's involved with this stuff, but to rebut somebody who doubts my hypothesis, Joe, I would tell them, well, the evidence stands for itself. You look at the amount of people who left skull and bones and went on to do something that was world-changing or made them wealthy or affluent, it just... It's mind-numbing. You won't find any other group that has that uh, record of success and excellence. So he's in coincidence, Mark. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, with that being said, yeah, I I say, you know, whether or not people think you're crazy, do your own research and uh, find out for yourself because the truth is out there whether they want to accept it or not.
2: Yeah, and that's the problem is that uh, unless you could condense everything you've ever said into a... 15 second TikTok video, nobody's going to do their own research. They're going to watch 15 TikTok videos and be like, I saw it for myself. This is not true. I, this guy imagine? has 4 million followers. It could not be true.
0: Can you imagine how much better America would be if when people came here, they embraced the Native American culture and they don't call themselves Native Americans? That's something we call them because we want to feel really good about ourselves. So anyway, I'll call them Native Americans for the show. But if when we got here, we just said, hey, what can you teach me? Instead of being like, I'm going to blow your fucking brains out if you don't move. Or even if that happened, I don't even know. Except That's Jesus, in the history books. Or you're getting yeah, shot. There was a lot of weird religious persecution. So if people just came in and didn't have that on their back and they just embraced it, this would be in a fucking amazing place. We'd all be building our own cabins, having our own passed down knowledge. There would be no fucking TikTok. There would be nothing like that. 'Cause that's
1: bullshit.
2: Oh, it's a great world right there. To gas, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, Mark, let it let everybody know where they can find you and any, any new projects you have coming up and all your links and all that and
1: shoot them over to me so I can put them in the notes too. All right. Thank you. Yeah. My family Thinks I'm Crazy is the podcast and the website. I also have a sub stack. If you go to my family stack and read some of my articles I've written about some of the things we've talked about today. Uh, And, yeah, there's a few booklets I've written that are available uh, on my Ko-Fi store and, of course, the shows that I put out. So that's all available on MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com and, of course, AltMediaUnited.com where you can find my podcast, this great podcast that we're on right now, and many others. So, yeah, that's, that's my links, just those two websites.
2: Perfect. That makes it easy for me as far as typing goes. Mark, good to see you again. Uh, Thanks, Ben and Linnea, for joining us. Uh, Thanks, Jen, for joining us. Oh, you're always here, though, yeah. But, yes, stay turgid, my fellow brothers. Stay turgid.
1: Boner.